Welcome back, truth seekers. We are all here. So we're still reading Jeff Berwick's book. We're at 35% right now. We are at uh, Profiting from the Big House. We just listed the companies that uh, use prison labor in the previous episode. And now we're going to move on. Slavery was not abolished. It was modernized, corporatized, and made mandatory to all colors of people. That's right, if you believe anything else, you're just brainwashed still and you need to tap a little on your karate chop point so you can work on that cognitive dissonance that we all get because the truth is so far from what we have all been told and taught that it is mind-blowing, so you're not alone. For those inmates that finally do get out of these private prisons, they are not out of the woods quite yet. The parole mechanism works to keep them coming back to the prison because of the level of restrictions placed on the inmate as a condition of their release. Early release is the bait that they use to entice a prisoner to bite on accepting parole, but once they do, it is almost impossible for a person to comply with all the additional rules, restrictions, terms, and conditions. Parole is the feeder mechanism that keeps people coming back to prison over and over and keeps all those lawyers who well know they're taking part in a charade, but, you know, they want their Porsche, they want their importance and all this stuff, and so it keeps going on. One can take the total number of felons currently warehoused in American prisons and safely assume that 60% of them will be coming right back almost immediately after release. That is if they are ever actually released. Those that have served time for a felony realize that once a person is in the American judicial system, it is almost impossible to get out. They are required by law to disclose on a job application whether or not they have ever been convicted of a felony. This alone just removed the majority of the possible jobs that a felon could have applied for just for checking the yes box. And it's all for helping you people. Yeah, they help you reintegrate, sure. The concept of parole is not a bad idea, but those that have had to change their entire world just to make sure they do not break any of the additional rules of their parole will tell you that the system of parole is designed to make sure that the offender comes back to prison. Yeah, no doubt. So why would the government have any reasons to install a revolving revolving door at the entrance to the American prison systems? (laughs) Well, the people that are in control of the American political and financial system do not want competition. And as long as a person is incarcerated, they do not pose a threat to their hegemony. The six million incarcerated people is actually a force multiplier because not only are those people wasting away in prison, but their absence from the home 
puts additional pressure on their families because they're really interested in you people and, you know, taking care of all of you. Big Daddy. A single mother forced to raise her four kids by herself because her husband is doing eight years for owning plants called drugs, is simply trying to survive and is therefore not a threat to really succeed. This then infects the entire community, the neighborhoods, and entire cities that get trapped in the quicksand of the prison system. The more they struggle, the deeper they sink. And that's why even in Gilmore Girls, they always made fun, you know, oh, those pot smokers, they were pushing that. Now, of course, the narrative has changed. And now they just, you know, allow people in Oregon, for example, to carry small amounts of drugs, of any drugs, just so you know. So first they do the, you know, they, they fight the drugs, now they're free. It's hilarious, it's just fucking hilarious. The priorities change from trying to get ahead in life to just trying to make it until the next government check arrives. They will not be trying to figure out how to break out of the system, but rather trying to figure out how to game the system instead because that is the height of their aspirations. That's right. So all of you who call yourself truthers and can work and don't work and pretend to have all kinds of problems, you are using the system. And a lot of you have been doing it well before the corona because the corona, I understand, they, they made us stay home. They made us uh, basically, you know, be in a position where a lot of people cannot play for themselves. So it's only fair that they give you money, but the truth is they're just giving you your money, which you're gonna pay for. We are all gonna pay for this if we keep following their narrative, that is, right? You can always wake up and say, enough, you're all fired. We're taking over our world. You are gonna go on Elba Island with Napoleon and never bother anybody else again. And that's it. Let's see what people do. The threat to the system is neutralized in this way. Continue reading. This uh, softens up the inner city for demolition by removing the family structure that once provided support, both materially and emotionally. So every time you think about poor people being the problem, remember the fish always starts stinking from the head. Think about where the money goes, follow the money, and you will find the guilty party. In a world built for narcissistic asshole psychopaths, only those become CEOs of companies. Remember that. There's very few rich people in the world, if any, that are truly good people. And there is a reason for it. It's because they are associated with all this. In order to get power, you need to be in bed with this deep state. Otherwise, they either kill you off or destroy you they take you out. But the people allow this to happen. Just understand this, because people are billions, and this is 0.01% of the elitists who are doing this. So they're just mind-controlling everyone else to help them. All you managers, all you lackeys of them, you are all just disposable. You do realize this, even though they make you believe you're special. You're disposable, and when they don't need you anymore, they use you for their sick gematria sacrifices. And they're always the same numbers, they're always the same. So if you actually do your research properly, you will start seeing this for yourself. 
I never tell people to believe anybody. Just go and do your research and notice things over time, people. I notice them because I do numerology on the good side, and that's how I learned about Gematria. So, anyway, and I'm not an expert in Gematria, but I do go and check out things when I need to. And the important thing is knowing who you can trust and who gives you proper information. But also follow your guts. They'll always tell you the truth if you're heart-based. Drug sentencing laws. The prison industrial complex, which is the combination of the public and private prison systems, costs the American taxpayers around $75 billion a year of dollars. And it has the highest incarceration rate in the world. Just think about this, guys. According to the sentencing project, the prison incarceration rate has increased by 500% over the last 40 years, with the prison population exploding by over 800%. Wow, is that more than inflation? <laughs> the United States has less than 5% of the world's population but 25% of the world's prison population. Think about this, guys. With hundreds of stupid new laws being created each year, it is amazing that everyone is not in prison right now for walking a dog on a Thursday while wearing shorts. There are estimates that the number of federal regulations carrying criminal penalties may be as high as 300,000. But the truth is that nobody is sure how many laws there are actually are. This is the height of insanity. Yeah, well, I mean, we have been laughing about this for the past 20 years, guys. So, you know, I, mean, I know it has been going on for a lot longer, obviously, but I mean, you know, eventually we wake up and we see the truth, right? And those of us who are heart-based and understand what being humane means, we change our way and try to do our best, right? To not help the establishment. A company that is in the private prison business is really no different than the local gym, as far as the numbers behind the business are concerned. This industry is love certainly <laughs> with the number of members that they can count on each month. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding because this allows them to plan for expenses and get an idea of how profitable they will be when their fiscal year ends. The gym might lose a few members each year when a person gets honest with themselves and admits that they probably will not actually be going anytime soon and gain a new group of members after New Year's resolutions kick in. Yeah. I've been one of those people who paid for the gym for a while. It was like my backup shower place, basically, in case I never used it. So I eventually stopped paying for the gym after a decade. All in all, they might have a consistent group of 10,000 people that they can count on each year. So they make their projections and plan their advertising around those figures. A private prison is no different in that they would like to know what they can expect this coming year in terms of members for their facilities. A prisoner serving 20 years for rape 
is far more attracted to them than one serving six years for assault with an option for parole after four years. Since these organizations were developed solely to turn a profit, the guarantee of a customer for 20 years is more desirable than a customer that might only fill one of their beds for 20% of that amount. This is a cash flow figure associated with each prisoner, and Wall Street loves statistics showing guaranteed money flowing in for years to come. These figures then are used to justify higher stock prices for these companies in the private prison industry. The Gold's gym could guarantee Wall Street that a huge chunk of their members would stay members for the next two decades. Their stock price would spike too. The rise of mandatory minimums in sentencing happened at the same time that private prisons were coming online. What a shocker. That is not accidental. The people developing private prisons got together with their high-power law firm partners that helped them to develop their business in the first place and actively lobbied their political friends to create a way to guarantee a huge batch of new customers, not just for their current facilities, but for future facilities that have not even built, been built yet. I've worked for lawyers myself, and I can attest to this. Most of them, if not all, are exactly this way. Making long prison sentences mandatory removes discretion from the judges' hands and forces them to impose unusually harsh incarceration terms on convicts that might have had a chance of receiving less time. It removes a great deal of uncertainty as to how many beds might be filled in the future, and it shows potential investors why they should invest in them so that they can build even more prisons. Mandatory minimums can make their stock price jump without even adding additional capacity, just because of the reduction of uncertainty. So all of you who invest in this, you do understand your part of the problem, right? An increase in stock value also allows the private prison company to have even more money to use to game the system further by expanding out and influencing politicians in other states as well. They can set about to grab as many government contracts as they can get their hands on, and they use Wall Street's endless flow of cash to finance the building of more facilities or to help them purchase other private prison companies. Wow, it's truly mind-blowing. I mean, ultimately, people, whatever you hear and whatever anyone says, me included, remember, it's just our opinion and what we found out. Make up your own mind, but I think this stuff is really mind-blowing, right? I treat you like peers, not like subordinate, because obviously that's what we are. And anybody who treats you like a subordinate in covering the government, who tries to cover your mind, is not there to help you. That's pretty obvious. Behind the numbers. The United States has an obvious double standard when it comes to crime and skin color. 
and the sentencing laws associated with each issue. Yeah, no, no kidding. Certain drugs are considered to be more serious than others. Some crimes are investigated in one part of the city but ignored in another. Some drivers with a particular skin color are pulled over more often if they are seen driving nice cars than others, and the judicial system that processes this crime is stretched to capacity. Also, the biggest drug is sugar, and it's legal, and it's in every prepackaged food, so... You know, if you haven't read the book Sugar Blues, it was written about 40 years ago, very factual, very proven, go check it out. You know sugar drives you crazy and is the main cause of violence in Western society? Maybe you haven't realized that yet, but don't eat refined sugar, it's really bad. A statistic that one might hear when visiting Costa Rica is that even though they have only 0.01% of the Earth's total landmass, they contain 5% of the land animals on the planet. Pretty cool. A statistic that a person might hear when visiting the United States is that even though they have only 5% of the people on Earth, they make up 25% of all the prisoners on the planet. Pretty disturbing. The US has the largest incarceration system in the world. It has one-fourth of the world's prisoners' population despite having only 5% of its entire population. According to the Prison Policy Initiative, the number of Americans that are currently in prisons and jails is larger than the population of Houston, Texas, or a little bit under two and a half million people. Adding the number of those on probation and parole to the number above will create a population larger than all of Los Angeles, California, roughly 7 million people. My dog is crying because she's hearing these numbers and she's crying from all of this. She's desperate. I mean, even the dog is desperate, guys. In 17 states, prisons are filled beyond capacity, according to the Huffington, Huff, Huff, Huffington Post. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm in a goofy mood right now. I'll go back to serious. Sorry. The overflow of prisoners end up in private prisons in neighboring states or into or into converted prison gymnasiums that house triple-stacked bunk beds. In California alone, it is estimated that one prisoner per week dies due to a lack of medical care from a system that is extended far beyond its capacity. I'm sorry, but I just can't even read this stuff right now. I'm so mind-blown by how fucked up it is, okay? A study conducted in 2014 shows that 68% of inmates who leave prison will return over the next three years, and that number bumps up to 77 after five years. About 35% of released prisoners do not even make it six months in the free world before they end up back in prison, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. It's insane. 
The percentage of black American men incarcerated is also higher than one of the most notoriously racist countries in the world, South Africa, during its decades-long system of apartheid, according to the book New Jim Crow. From the ACLU, 3,281 prisoners are serving life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole for non-violent crimes. That's insane. The American Civil Liberties Union added that most of the people on this list had severe mental illness issues and that two out of three of them were black men. It is 500% more expensive to keep someone in prison than it is to keep them in school in California and Washington. Most other states have similar rates showing costs exceeding 200% to 300%. The reduction in the crime rate surprisingly did not cause a reduction in the pace of incarceration. The incarceration rate actually kept going up even though the amount of crime was going down. <laughs> People, come on. The total number of inmates in the American prison system has quintupled guys five times has gone up since the combination of crack cocaine, the war on drugs and the tougher sentences laws that were introduced to the inner cities well it's not a surprise in California 30% of all inmates are incarcerated for drug related charges in the past two decades the number of inmates with sentences of life without the possibility of parole has grown by 400%. The kind of sentence was almost unheard of before the war on drugs policy was instituted. The intentional hollowing out of the American inner city began in the 1960s when Nixon, fearful of not getting reelected, instituted a major crackdown on heroin to clear black voters out of the voting booths for good by making them convicted felons. The targeted assault was kicked into high gear through Reagan's insulting war on drugs that placed the government's large thumb on the scale of democracy. And yeah, my dad was a big supporter of Reagan. He fell for it. I remember, like, you know, obviously, and then over time I was like, hold on, <laughs> you know, took a while there. Yep, we all have fell for some lies, right? But my dad fell for it because in Italy people were so lazy and always bent down on using the system, and in Veneto, where we are from, Verona, Veneto, you know, Shakespeare, it's uh, the region, one of the regions where people were basically paying taxes for the rest of Italy. So he was, you know, for Reagan, because Reagan was like, oh, so you want to go on strike? Because that's what they do in Italy all the time. Strikes here, strikes there, right? Get paid anyway. And, you know, always try and make, make more money. And my dad was always working for himself. So when you work 17 hours days and you bust your ass and then you see that they steal your taxes, your money, and then you see people who are not doing shit, you know, making wages that are stolen from tax money, then you are prone to believe in lies, I think. Because my dad certainly would have never supported any of this. I know that for a fact. But, you know, he was misled as well. And, you know, we all were at some point or the other. 
That's why it's important to have empathy and help each other understand rather than just say, you are the enemy. No, the only real enemy is the elitist group that have done this. And the others, yes, have helped and, ha and has happened because people have allowed it to happen. But if people are mind controlled, what do you expect? You know? So it was taken to new and horrifying levels under Clinton and the mandatory minimum laws that disproportionately targeted the inner cities and then pushed into something from a Philip K. Dick novel as Trump enforced Obama's illegal immigrant laws by rounding up, then splitting off families and warehousing them like they were jars of tomato sauce into Walmarts that have been recently converted into private concentration camps in anticipation of this event unfolding. Another factor that has changed the landscape of American prisons is the shift away from trial and towards a plea agreement. Pushes by the court-appointed counsel to accept plea deals instead of going to trial is partially due to the increasing workloads on court-appointed defenders. In some situations, a defense attorney averaged seven minutes of time to review their client's case before their first hearing. Seven minutes, that's insane, guys. What happened to America? Pre-trial detention plays a large part in the decisions to offer and accept pleas. Suspects in custody are far more likely to accept a plea. Suspects in custody are less likely to have their charges dropped. Between 90 to 95% of cases result in plea bargaining. The discretion of the prosecution causes wide discrepancies in sentencing outcomes in plea bargaining. Suspects who decline a plea and go to trial are more likely to receive harsher sentences. Blacks are less likely than whites to receive reduced pleas. Statistics and numbers can be manipulated to tell quite different stories. But when it comes to the numbers behind the prison industrial complex, it is hard to massage them into anything other than the blueprints for a coming disaster. There is another aspect to this lack of fairness in the current law enforcement system, and that is that rich and powerful people usually do not go to prison unless they have really horrible lawyers. It is not to say that they do not ever get convicted, but when they do, it happens in a much different way than with other people. When Bill Hillary Clinton's friend Jeffrey Epstein was convicted of soliciting an underage girl for prostitution and was sentenced to 18 months in prison in a plea deal, of which he served 13, the billionaire was able to spend his days out of prison and at his mansion in West Palm Beach as long as he returned to the prison each night to sleep there. Who knew something like that was even an option? It certainly would not have been in his name was Jeffrey Jenkins from Camden, New Jersey. Well, we can all agree on that, right? This set of double standards works to undermine the credibility of the entire legal system. The legal system in America had the ability to actually be fair for everyone, but it has become so compromised that it no longer functions properly. 
the American legal system must have consistency if it is going to work for the people. But when the world's watch bankers steal billions of dollars from the American taxpayers and walk around as if they are gods, it creates a feeling of hopelessness in the public that there might just be two sets of laws, one for them and another set for everyone else. And I didn't make the noise of the toilet, you know, but it was pretty meant considering what we were talking about. That legal system need to be put down the toilet. And I'm sorry, but sometimes other people who live around me are not so considerate to make sure they don't make noise when I'm taping. But in this case, it just worked out perfectly. So I'm leaving it there. <laughs> awesome. I'll see you in a little bit in the next episode. Well, see you as in, you know, you'll hear it. I'll be there talking. <laughs> Ciao, belly. Oh, here. You need that.